we're going to be talking about what it was like in the early church. We're going to be reading from the book of Acts in different places, but I want you um, to really uh, with me just draw on what the Lord will reveal to us through the series so that we can recapture some of the vibrant family values, so to speak, of what went on in our uh, in the church of our apostolic fathers. Um, there's a lot of church tradition today that that over time, uh, you know, was implemented through different cultures. But we're we're going to mainly look at the the early church, the way that they operated, the way they were together. What was the DNA of the early church? Do you guys remember last week we talked about love? I guess nobody was here last week. I get, I'm, well, I'm glad you came to church this Sunday. Um, last week, we talked about three things that love is. Love is, isn't something that just happens. Love is a choice. Say choice. Let me just recap for a moment because we talked about our devotion to the Lord. From Acts 2.42 in the New American Standard, it says that they were devoted steadfastly to one another, continually devoted to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, prayers, and fellowship. And we're going to be unpacking this verse, and we're going to talk about each one. And the way that we're going to relate to it in the now is we're going to talk about family reunion. How many love family reunions? Some of you are like, I don't, because Jerry Springer is always there filming. We're going to talk about family reunion and just take it into the now. What does our family, what is our family supposed to look like looking at the early church? But last week we talked about love. Love is a choice. Love is commitment. Say commitment. And love is simple. See, to be devoted, we have to learn to live simple. We have to learn to live from the heart. We have to learn to, what you see is what you get. And, and we've got to unlearn the church culture thing that does that thing where we love to put a smile on. And how are you doing? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. Oh, I love you, sister. But inside we're thinking, I hate this woman. She always gossips. Or, or and now I'm being, you know, actually you do think that sometimes. Don't lie. We've got to unlearn the stuff that, that takes away from the pure simplicity of living from the heart. Just living out of our heart. Like this is who I am. And we, we let God transform our hearts from the inside out. We're being changed from glory to glory. But we're not hiding what, what we feel, you know. When we come in church, we should be more transparent. But for some reason, most church cultures, as we come to church and we've got to act holier than we really don't live. Monday through Saturday, we live like somebody else. And so, praise God, God is so good. And oh, he's speaking to me right now. And, and the day before, we are screaming at our kids. And come on, listen, why don't we just come into the house of God in a simplistic form and say, God, here's my heart. And hey, how you doing, man? I'm actually kind of going through it. Can you pray for me? And minister life to one another. Let there be an exchange of life. And so I want the real deal. I don't know about you, but I don't like fake uh, Wednesday night, my mother-in-law was preaching. He, she was teaching. We have different teachers on Wednesday night. If you don't come, you need to come. We have awesome worship. Um, and it's an opportunity for our different leaders to teach. And, and she was teaching in one, one moment of the message. She said, I don't want the fake. I want the real deal. That was our heart cry when we planted the church. My wife and I said, I don't want the fake. I want the real. I want to, what is church? We're the church, but what does it look like when we gather? What is the real deal? You know, I don't want just man's tradition. I want heaven's culture. And, and so last week we talked about love and how it's a choice. It's a commitment. And it's simple. 
And you remember uh, the scripture in Corinthians that says, greet one another with a holy what? And so I said to the church, I said, we're going to start doing that. And everyone looked at me crazy, thinking like, okay, next thing he's going to say is wear white robes, drink Kool-Aid, and shave my head bald. We won't do any of those things. But we are going to greet one another with a holy embrace. And the acronym for KISS is Keep It Simple Stupid. Say that with me. Keep it simple, stupid. We need to keep it simple. And there's something uh, amazing in the early church when I read the book of Acts. It says they ate with gladness and simplicity and sincerity of their hearts. And God's, God's teaching us to be that way. He's teaching us to become a family. And so this morning, I want to talk about three strands of our family. If we look at it in the aspect that the church is a family, because after all, we are family, right? We are not an organization. We are not, uh, we're not a club. Amen? We're a family. In other words, we all have the same blood, and we've all been washed in the blood of Jesus, but the same spirit lives in us, and spirit is thicker than blood. That's a good word for some of you nepotistic people. Spirit is thicker than blood. I love my family. I'll always honor my family. But guess what? I've given my life to God. And the family of God is first. Spirit is thicker than blood. And if your family's saved, then that makes it a little bit better. Amen? But what is, if we could, listen, your DNA is what determines your identity. So if we look at the way church is done today, if we look at how church is right now, how we do church, we say, what is our identity? Well, if we could go back and look at the identity of the early church, when God just, he breathed on the church and the Holy Spirit came the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were added to the church in one day because of a preacher who misquotes the Bible, who just denied Jesus a couple of months, or just a little bit before that, a month before that. And God's using these imperfect people and there's a holy community assembled and God begins to multiply the church of the Lord Jesus and advance his kingdom in the earth. But if we could say, what is the identity? What did it look like? I know that there's cultural differences, but what is the pure identity? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you three strands of DNA, if you will. Three, your blood, your DNA, your identity, and what it looked like in the early church. The first one I want to share with you is worship. Say worship. Now, I'm not going to talk about the act of lifting your hands and singing. Actually, we're going to talk about that further in the series, and we're going to combine worship and prayer. Um, we're going to talk about communion with God and posturing our hearts before the Lord. But I'm going to talk about something a little bit different, because whatever you're devoted to, it's an act of worship. And, and whatever you worship, you value. And I'm going to break down the word worship for you right now. I'm not just talking about how we come and we sing songs, or let's worship. Oh, leave me alone. I'm worshiping. Worship is an act where our lives should be postured in worship. We should be living sacrifices. Amen. Let me see a holy nod at me real quick. We should be living sacrifices to the Lord. Everything we do should be worship. But worship literally means uh, worth and ship. Now, when we say ship, we're thinking, well, a boat, like fellowship, two fellows in a ship. That's not what ship means. Ship means the state. I have to say that word real carefully so I don't actually say a different word. Ship. All right. I don't want you guys accusing me of cussing while I'm preaching. I know how you guys think. You're just waiting for me to slip up and say function wrong or something or ship wrong or something like that. Ship 
means the state of value or the state of. So worship, worship is the state of value. When I value something, I give honor to it. I give place to it. Wherever your heart is, your treasure is. Wherever your treasure is, your heart is also. Amen. So fellowship is the state of sharing, the state of communion. Um, lordship is the state of Lord, like, you know, submitting to the Lordship of Jesus is the state of submitting to his reign. So worship is the first strand of DNA that the early church had well. And here's what they had. They knew what they were a part of. They had a sense of value and honor in this community. They were devoted, steadfastly devoted to one another. Their whole hearts were in this thing. They understood that they were disciples of the Messiah and they were commissioned by him to go into all the world and preach the good news to bring, uh, to bring life into the whole planet. That's a big deal. Worship, the state of value. You know, years ago I had a dog before I got married and she was a, a pit bull. She was a beautiful dog. Um, but when I found her, I found her in an apartment complex in kind of an inner city area, and she was abused. I mean, she, she had her ears cut. She was burly, buff, red. I mean, she was abused. How many like pit bulls? Oh, we have some pit bull lovers here. Um, how many love the way they snap at your kids? Okay, that's why we had to get rid of this dog. So I love this dog. She was so loyal to me. I mean, she, I didn't need a leash. If I went outside, there could be a cat bleeding and she would want to eat it. And I'd say, Leah, stay right there. And she'd just stay right. She would not move. She was so loyal to me. But one of the reasons she was so loyal is because she found what she was looking for. She found someone to love her. She found someone to accept her. She was abused. She was shaking when I got her. And I just started feeding her, loving her. She was so loyal to me. In the middle of the night, someone walked to my room. You didn't, Rochelle one time tried. Not in the middle of the night. You better not be sneaking in my room. She walked in my room one time. And Leah didn't know who it was and and just grab. I mean, she was so loyal. But there's something about understanding when we found what we're looking for, there's a state of value. And the DNA of the early church had a state of value, a state of honor. Because when I'm worshiping God, I honor my fellow man. See, we, we can't live in honor or we can't live in worship without seeing an effect on our relationships horizontally, like horizontally, right? If I'm living right vertically, you're going to see it horizontally. That's a really good word right there. When I'm living right vertically, I will always see an effect on it horizontally. And the state of value, worship was one of the strands of their DNA. And not only did they pray and they worshiped the Lord, I'm sure it was a part of their culture. Obviously, they prayed 10 days waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. That proceeds from the Father. Jesus said, I'll send the Holy Spirit and, and baptize you in power. And they're praying and praying, 120 in the upper room. They had that value. But I want to talk about the sense of honor that they were devoted to one another. That was a part of their DNA. Uh, you know, I think about this, this whole series, and um, we had the idea of doing it uh, in, in the context of a family reunion, just to kind of bring it to today to help us understand. Uh, how many have been to a family reunion in the last year? Raise your hand. Man, you guys need to go to some family reunions. You're missing out. I love family reunions. I, I haven't been to one on my father's side in a long time, but we did. We, we, we had a few. And I remember one of my first ones where I went, and I'm like, man, this is my family. I mean, have ever, have, if those of you that have ever been to a family reunion, will you raise your hand up so I know I'm talking to the right? Okay, all right, good. 
I went to my family reunion. I was younger and I'm like, they're kind of crazy like me. Like this, I'm okay, man. You know, I, I'm, it's not just me that acts like this. And I learned about all my different, you know, the, the, the dads, the alpha males and the uncles and, and then, you know, all my cousins and stuff. And then there was always two that always end up drinking too much and fighting. Come on. Right. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And, but there's a sense of a, a family spirit where you, you are literally, it shapes your identity. I remember coming back from my family reunion and my dad's showing off my muscles. I'm little, right? But he made me do push-ups. I was abused. He made me do, not really abused. When I was like nine, he's like, I used to do 135 push-ups and I was, I need to do that to David. He could not hang. It would take him a while to get up there. But my, I feel his guns, feel that little man's guns. And I'm like, flexing. <laughs> I felt stronger after this family reunion. There's something about when you get around your family, you know who you are. So what if we could go back to the early church and say, wow, that's what my family looks like. That's how they talk to, that's how they greet one another. Wow, they honor each other. I, I, I wish at, in times I could go back and just, just for about 10 minutes, just watch a conversation between two Christians in the early church. Wouldn't that be amazing? how they worshiped and we need to have a family reunion and we need to get back to the basics of the DNA strand of worship and value in the early church. What was our, and now I understand culture is different, but heaven's culture in our midst, the way that we operate, the way we function, the way we love one another, the way we lay our lives down for one another, the way we feed the poor, clothe the naked, hello, take care of the widows. Like, let's get back to the core strands, the DNA of value. We need to have a family reunion. There's something about when I, what I realize I have in the family of God, I found what I'm looking for. And, th- and that's what I look at the life of, uh, or I look at my, that dog that I had, Leah. I, we had another dog, and my son's allergic to dog, uh, dogs. David is allergic to dogs. But we had another dog. His name is Blue. And he was a Weimaraner. He was so cool, man. Uh, you know what Weimaraners are? The ones, the, the big ears? I think that's a Sesame Street dog that they dress up, isn't it? What happened to Sesame Street? I'm getting off track. I love Sesame Street. I just want to watch an episode, Okay. It's still on? Okay, cool. I need to get that channel. Can we get that channel? Okay. The Weimaraner dog, dude, this dog was so cool. He thought he was human. Just the way he knew he was accepted, he thought he was one of us. He literally would lay in the bed like this, and he thought he was one of us. We're like, no, Blue, you need to, we're trying to train him. Like, you're a dog. That's not, but when you get around a family of acceptance and this sense of value, you know who you are. And there's something about when I get around the family of God, I found what I'm looking for. And we need to reunite with what our real blood is. Say amen to that. We need to reunite with that first strand of DNA of worship, the state of value, the state of honor. Amen. Um, number two, we need, to, we need to understand that one of the core DNAs of our identity is life-giving. Say that with me. Say life-giving. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it a little bit. I'm going to talk about what this means to me and, and how the Lord began to speak to me about this. Um, th- there's, there's always some type of contention when, in family reunions. How many know that? And because we're imperfect. But when we are life-giving, there's no room for contention. And there's no room for unforgiveness. 
there's no room because we're, give, we're constantly giving. The word forgive literally means to give. Literally, it means to give. Actually, one of the meanings is like a, a release, like to release, like a catapult, like one of those old catapults just to release. Like God wants, and we're thinking, yeah, I want to release a catapult of fire on my enemies. That's not the type of forgiveness I'm talking about. But we need to learn to be giving. God is a life-giving spirit. The Bible says he's a life-giving spirit. In the early church, there was such generosity and sharing and laying down their life. But they knew what it meant to just give, like give of who I am. You know, I think about sometimes the weariness of loving people. You get tired. Don't you get tired? You get tired like, you know, just living life. You know, like we're, I got to raise my kids and I got another one coming. Sweet Jesus, four is enough. We go to the mall and you, we have to put leashes and put numbers on their heads with lights and one, two. Where's the fourth? Boom. We have a little beeper. Not really. We don't do that. But sometimes it feels like that, doesn't it? it sometimes in, we have to give life and I have to give my life to my kids. I have to spend time with them. I have to love them. But, but I wonder if God ever feels the same way. Like, man, my kids are just all over the place and they don't listen. But guess what? God's word doesn't return void. And the Bible says he pours out his spirit on all flesh. His word, just like the rain come down from heaven and seed goes forth and it brings forth life. It may take some time, but guess what? God's still giving life. God's still pouring out his spirit. Let us get the, the, that DNA strand in our hearts that we need to be givers, not takers. In Nehemiah chapter 5, we did a series on courage. How many remember that? And we talked about Nehemiah sent by the king to restore the walls. Well, in chapter 5, Nehemiah had to lay the smack down on the people of God. And they were, God's trying to restore, and God's trying to rebuild the walls through his people. And now all of a sudden, they want to just get back everything that everybody owes them. And they're mad at each other, and they're charging interest, and you owe me this. And, and, and they're like literally trying to take, and they're trying to, uh, they're trying to, you know, get everything that they can when God's trying to restore. How many know that he can't restore if we have a taking mentality? It's actually a poverty of soul and heart. Do you know that a poverty spirit doesn't just affect your money? Not many amens right there, huh? I don't have a poverty spirit. I got money in the bank. Well, sister or bro, um, I beg to differ with you because if we operate in, in this this pity or this thing where you owe me or entitlement or, you know, and we're constantly thinking how this person did us wrong and they owe me. And one day they'll see, listen, that is not the DNA strand of the early church. They were forgiving one another, constantly releasing and giving life and loving. And guess what? You could smack me upside the head and I'll still love you. We should all be like Cocker Spaniels. Another dog. I'm talking about all my dogs. I'm reminiscing of all my dogs. I love animals. Animals are so precious. I had a cocker spaniel, and uh, you could drop a rock on his head. He'd still love you. We never tried it. Don't report me. Stop. They just lo- I mean, cock- <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I mean, he would just run up, and you could literally kick him, and he'd just come back loving you and forget immediately. But we, as the church today, are so... Oh, I remember what you said to me two years ago. Right? Hello? Let's just be real. We need to be life givers, not takers. See, we either give or take. And when we take, we function in the poverty of the soul and heart. Always entitled. Always feeling like everyone owes us. And if we're done wrong, then someone really owes us. 
It doesn't just affect our finances. There, there's no contention. There's no, uh, there's no room for any of that covetousness in, in the DNA strand that comes from heaven, that comes from Jesus, the blood of the lamb, the new nature in us. There's no room. We should be life-giving and forgiving. It should be a part of who we are. I remember years ago, nobody that's in this church, but years ago I was a part of a worship team um, where there was these two background vocalists, and I swear every time we do worship, they would try to one-up each other. It was always, it was almost like it was this, uh, it was contentious though. And I think it would, it would quench the spirit. And I remember thinking like, I don't understand this. Like we're worshiping God right now. We're not entertaining people. But it comes from this, this uh, not understanding of our value, right? Number one, just that worship, the state of value. But it also, it comes from uh, that, that contentious thing in us that we're, we're actually lacking inside. And we, we still think people owe it. And they would go back and forth. And one person would have a spontaneous song and the other person would have a better spontaneous song. And then this person would go and it's like, oh, well, well I'll sing in tongues. Watch this. And it was like back and forth. But it comes from a spirit of contention. The word content, mean, content it means to contend, like you're running a race. Now, we run a race in a good way, but we, we're, not, we're not supposed to be competent. We're not in competition here. Amen? How many know that? Don't get me on the basketball court. I am, I'm very, very, no, I can't play basketball. I'm so white. When it, only, that's the only time I'm white. Laris, the only time you could pull my black card is when I get on the court. There's no other time. How many say amen? You better say amen right there. I'll get mad. Some people are very contentious. Some people are very competitive. But the spirit of a competitive person may be rooted in a, in a poverty mentality. Like I'm, we're always trying to success. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about the next point in just a moment. But let me read to you um, Colossians 3, verses 12 through 15. In the message, it says, So, chosen by God for this new life of love. Isn't that good? You were chosen for a new life of love. It says here, Dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, Quiet strength, discipline. Wow, isn't that great? Meditate on this. It says, be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other, none of this going off and doing your own thing and cultivate thankfulness. Isn't that good? God wants us to get rid of this mentality. We need to go from entitlement to endowment. We need to go from keeping record to remission. We need to go from gaining to giving. We're always looking to gain. Like, oh, what can I get out of this? Well, even in relationships, think about the way that we the way that we function, like I will relate to you based upon what you can do for me. Now understand there comes a point in time where if a relationship is unhealthy, the Bible says don't be in harmony with people that are, that you know, like don't get too close. How many know what I'm talking about? But if we automatically have this presumption in our hearts and we think I'm only going to relate to you as long as I get what I need, that's not a life-giving heart. If God did that, we'd all be dead, wouldn't we? 
God doesn't come to us and say, well, as long as you serve me, I'll love you. No, he loves us. When we're unlovable, when we were all jacked up, he said, I'm making a covenant with you. I'm the stronger party. You're the weaker. I'm going to send my only son to bring an offering, shed his blood so that I can make a new covenant with you. And, and that's what our hearts should be, life-giving, life-giving. We need to be givers, not takers. We need to be, uh, we can't keep record all the time. We have to be just remission, just forgive. We need to stop gaining, gaining. We need to give. Amen. And this brings me to point number three, that we need to learn the other strand of our DNA, which is succession. Say succession. Now, I'm not talking about success, and I'm not talking about passing the baton. That's, that's for another message, because that is a huge part of what Jesus modeled in the early church when he made disciples, it was so that they could make disciples, not just a convert, but actually disciple them life on life through relationship. By the way, side note, that's the only way you can be discipled is through relationship. You cannot be discipled through a television set. It has, you have to have a relationship. And we all need discipleship. Um, but this is a different a different twist on the word succession. I'm talking about a, a humble heart of being submissive. You know that whatever you fear is going to determine what you worship and what you're devoted to. Whatever you fear, if you fear uh, failure, you're going to be devoted to striving and success. It will motivate your whole life. If you fear death, you will be motivated to, oh, I got to do this in life and I got to do this. And I got, and, and sometimes in the wrong way, instead of living life abundantly, um, if we fear rejection, we will be devoted to gain, gaining acceptance. So every part of us will be doing something to try to gain some type of, accept, of acceptance. And this is not a, a DNA of the heart of believers. This should not be in us. We should not fear these things. There is an unhealthy fear and there's a good fear. You know, one of the or two of the greatest commandments in the Bible is fear not. And fear God. Did you know that? Like, what the heck? It says fear not, and then I'm supposed to fear God. I'm supposed to be afraid of God. But how many of us know that there's an unhealthy fear, and then there's a healthy fear, and fearing, fearing God is a reverential awe and honor to Him. I want to read a scripture to you out of Ephesians 5.21. It says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. You see, if we bow to wrong fears, we'll give place to devotion to the wrong thing. We will not be devoted the way that the early church was, devoted to the apostles' teaching, breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayers. We'll be devoted to the wrong thing. And we see this in many church cultures. This is how religious politics creep in. You know, we, we, we fear rejection. And when we fear rejection and we're looking for acceptance, we're, we, if we don't know we're truly accepted, we'll never learn to submit to one another in relationship. Because we're constantly thinking, and, and I'm, I'm, it's real quiet in this place. I don't know who I'm talking to right now, but I, I feel like this is a very important part of what we need to learn. We need to learn this succession, this bowing and reverential awe before God so that we can have healthy relationships with one another. It says, submit to one another in the fear of God. If we're afraid of opening our hearts, um, sometimes we're, we're afraid of succession. I want to read to you in just a moment a... Uh, just a real quick, a real quick paragraph out of some early church writings. This is a book uh, called "The Apostolic Fathers," um, and it's in English. Is that good? So you guys will understand it. I was going to read it in Latin, but I changed my mind. Um, 
But I'm going to read to you a letter that Clement sent to the church of Corinth around 95 AD. And this is a, it's a fascinating book. These are letters that went out to different, um, that were passed around. They were not included in the canon um, and considered like inspired by God, like the rest of the books of the New Testament, but they weren't considered heretical. They didn't have any Gnosticism teachings in it or anything like that. And there's a profound small paragraph I want to read to you. And if if you understand the context of, of what Clement is writing, the church of Corinth had some issues. How many know that? Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, 1 Corinthians was like a rebuke. Um, and 2 Corinthians was like, uh, y'all didn't listen the first time. You need to be quiet and listen. I'm your daddy. Amen. And so he was constantly trying to father this church. And they had some, some mavericks going on. Now, in, in uh, about 30, 40 years later, 50 years later, it was still going on to the point where there were some younger leaders trying to take over the church and dishonor the fathers that were in the midst. And this, uh, this bishop or apostle was writing, Clement was writing to the church, trying to correct them in love and tell them this is not how it's supposed to be. And he's actually writing to them and he uses this word succession. And I want to read it to you. You ready? Um, It says this, it says, The seasons, spring and summer and autumn and winter, give away in succession, one to the other in peace. The winds from the different quarters fill their ministry in the proper season without disturbance. The ever-flowing springs created for enjoyment and health give without fail their life-sustaining breasts to humankind. Even the smallest living things come under the heart, come together in harmony and peace, all things the great creator and master of the universe ordered to exist in peace and in harmony, thus doing good to all things, but especially abundantly to us who have taken refuge in his compassionate mercies through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory and the majesty forever and ever. Amen. He's talking about examples of harmony in nature. And he's saying, this, it shouldn't be like that. But I love this line. He says, even the seasons give away to one another in succession. You see, in order for us to be healthily submitted to one another, where, where we actually love each other without agenda, and there's a healthy submission in the church, in church government. And when I say government, I'm talking about family. I'm talking about the fivefold ministry. In order to see this health, this humility, and this... Uh, this type of culture in our midst, we have to bow our hearts to the Lord and we have to give away in succession. It's such a powerful word to me. And and the word is used sometimes in a king giving away succession to a throne. And how many know that we uh, we cannot bow to one another in honor if we're not bowing to worship to God? You see, sometimes we're seated on the throne of our own hearts and then we want to control everything else. And God's like, that's not the way I've designed you. We are designed to be interdependent on one another. And this is what we see in the early church. We see succession. We see humility. We see a healthy submission. You see, here's the thing in today. I'm going to be closing with this. Um, Covenant always says, I will walk with you together. And my heart is always open to you. If we bow our hearts to Jesus, you know what I love about some of the, um, the Asian cultures is the way they honor each other. I just, I love it. 
Now, how many know we're not supposed to worship one another? Amen. Okay. If I ever teach that, you can leave. All right. Praise the Lord. Um, But we're supposed to honor each other. But here's what I love about the Asian culture. Their honor for one another. Um, Some things good, some things not so good. They eat too much rice. No, I'm just kidding. Some things not so good, some things good. I love Asian food. Oh, I'm hungry. Someone run and get me a breakfast burrito. Um, I'm going to get distracted. I love the way when they greet each other, they bow. I I don't know what it is about that. I I think it's just like this honor in their hearts toward one another. Like, I honor you. I mean, it's just so cool. And if we don't need to start doing that, but what I'm saying is in your hearts, we should have this, you know, like I receive who you are and I love you. I honor you in Christ. You're my brother. You're my sister. You're in this body and I bow to who you are. I bow to the anointed one in you, but I also the anointing that's on your life. Think about that for a minute. Succession. I receive who you are. Jesus said you can't honor someone unless you receive who they are. Amen. So what if we learn that in all our culture? What if we learn these things? The state of value, worship, the state of worth, this, this culture of honor. And what if we learn all of these things, all of these strands of our DNA, and we learn to give away in succession, to submit to one another in the fear of God and and not be afraid to open our hearts, not be afraid of relationship because we're life-giving. And we know that, yeah, we're going to get hurt. Wait till we talk about the word fellowship in Acts 2.42. In Acts 2.42, it talks about they gave themselves continually to fellowship. And that one is going to be entitled the barbecue. Sometimes we get burnt, but the barbecue sauce is real sweet. Amen. How many know that the barbecue sauce is sweet, but if you get close to the fire, you will get burned. I love barbecues. Um, that'll be my favorite message because we get to talk about food. Praise the Lord. This morning we talked about dogs. In a couple of weeks, we'll be talking about that. But if I'm life giving and I have a heart of humility and submission and I give away in succession, I'm not afraid to be hurt. Because my heart's like his and I just love and I just give. And I know that if I just keep loving and giving, love wins. That should be the strands of DNA within us. I want you to, I want you to say this with me. Say, Father in heaven, burn in my heart pure DNA. Restore pure DNA. The DNA of Jesus. His nature. The DNA of value. The DNA of life-giving and the DNA of humility in Jesus' name. So I just bless you, and I just proclaim, may you walk in, in, this, uh, in this new DNA that God has put. May he continue to restore what he's trying to restore so that we can reproduce. May he continue to restore as we look at the life of what the early church looked like. Amen? I want to open up the altars to anyone that needs prayer. Can we have our prayer team come? Um, our Sozo team and prayer team leaders just come uh, right up to the altar here and face the people. And, uh, and we're going to dismiss you. And as we do, if there's anyone here, if you need Jesus, if you need to recommit your life to him, if you need to surrender your life to him, we want to pray with you. We want to help you. If you need to get filled with the Holy Spirit, when Pastor Zach's up here and he says, fan the flame, pray in the Holy Spirit, and you don't know how to do that, we want to help you do that. We want to get you filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, if you need healing in your body, if you need healing in your emotions and in your heart, come. We want to bring the kingdom of God to you and bring freedom and deliverance to your life. Amen.
So would you just one last time, lift your hands with me and I'm going to bless you. And then I want you to love one another as you go and then come. If you need prayer, please come. We have people ready. They, they literally live for these moments to minister to you. So father, we thank you. We, we thank you for your blessings from heaven right now. We receive it. We thank you for grace. Come on, say it. Say, thank you for grace, Lord. I receive it. Grace is not just unmerited favor. It's divine enablement to live with Jesus. So we receive your grace in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.